Welcome to the Leadership Podcast series, Small Things Make a Big Difference, where I interview leaders all over the world and discover the lessons they have learned and apply on a regular basis that help themselves, their families, the organizations they work for, and the communities they serve in be a better place. My name is Spencer Holt. I'm married to my best friend, Brittany, have four amazing children, and I have a passion for leadership and learning. I've lived in Canada, the US, and England, and can use all three accents when needed. I love working in countries all over the world, helping teams, organizations, and individuals be better and happier by focusing on small things that make a big difference. When you do a Google search of the word hero, you get over 92,300,000 different definitions or options to read about. And so I'm gonna ask each one of you, when you hear the word hero, who comes to mind? What is it that that individual did or does? And why does that person become a hero in your own life? After reading a couple definitions and a couple different things, I align with this definition of a true hero. It is somebody who does something heroic for the benefit of others. For the benefit of someone other than themselves, which doesn't mean they can't necessarily benefit from it, but their deeds or their acts or their performance or their accomplishment is not primarily for their own benefit. It's why I'm so excited about this episode today Rodney Bullard, a hero in his own right, somebody that leads global corporate responsibilities today for Chick-fil-A, but is such a hero around the world, You're going, we're going to get insights from his book, Heroes Wanted, and how every one of you that are listening today have the opportunity to be a hero in someone's lives that you are interacting with. Enjoy the episode. This week on Small Things Make a Big Difference, I'm excited because my kids are going to think I'm a hero uh, for a variety of reasons for having Rodney Bullard on the the show today. He's an executive at Chick-fil-A, which makes him totally cool with any kid in uh, America right now. But also, he's the author of the book Heroes Wanted. Rodney, welcome to Small Things Make a Big Difference. Spencer, thank you. It's truly a pleasure to be with you all today, and uh, I'm honored to do so. And I'm honored to talk about Chick-fil-A, but I'm also honored to talk about Heroes Wanted, why the world needs you to live your heart out. And I think this is such a timely conversation, right? To your point, more than ever, we need leaders, regardless of title or position, right? Yes. To, To lead more from the heart. And so before we get into that, though, you're you have such a unique life, whether it's playing football, the Air Force Academy, your degrees, you've spent time at Harvard, at Duke. Give us a little bit of like the, what don't we know about Rodney and let people kind of get the inside track. Yeah, so Spencer, I I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. My father is a Baptist minister, my mother an educator. Uh, My father also played for the Denver Broncos. uh, So you probably would not know that. Uh, My father uh, believed in the laying of hands both literally and figuratively. And so, uh, so I tried to be of the straight and narrow and uh, in high school, uh, my father really impressed upon me the importance of education and, and really got that from my neighborhood. Uh, neighborhood I grew up in was a, a, an interesting neighborhood. It, w- it was a place of crossroads for many kids. And so uh, some 
did not take education as seriously and, and some did. And you can see going back uh, really how those lives have diverged. And I went off to the Air Force Academy after uh, uh, enjoying my high school time as a football player and, and did other things academically. But went off to the Air Force Academy uh, in part because they had a great football team, but they also had a great Montreal team. And uh, I blew out my knee uh, my junior year of the Air Force Academy and I couldn't play football anymore. And my mother reminded me that I'd also gone out uh, to the Air Force Academy for the Montreal team. So I went out for the team and I, I go for the first practice and they looked at me and they said that they didn't have room and that, that I was basically not going to be able to be a part of the team. And I was devastated, quite frankly. Uh, I was devastated because I had just hurt my knee. I was devastated now because I was being rejected. And I came back the next day and I asked, could I start my own team? And they said, sure. Uh, and I went and recruited others and we were able to start a second team. And that team ended up being, uh, along with the other team, one of the winningest teams in Air Force Academy history in mock trial. And so I tell folks that I was all American in mock trial, but I really, aspired to be All-American in football. So God had a wicked sense of humor as it related to, uh, to me and my life. But that sent me off to law school at Duke Law School. And that was, a, that was a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful experience. I left Duke and then I, uh, I got a chance to go back into the Air Force. And I'll never forget my, my first trial in the Air Force. And I talk about it a little bit in the book. And it really was my first hearing, not so much a trial, but I was, uh, I was excited because I'd done mock trial and I, this was now the first time I had a chance to do it and it was for real. There was a real defendant uh, and everything was, uh, was actually for high stakes. And so I remember I was going back to a room and I was trying to call my witnesses and the bailiff was calling the witnesses and people weren't answering. And at some point I took a recess and went back to find the witnesses. And I remember people started to point at the television and they pointed at this small, really it was a color television, but it was barely color. It was almost black and white. And they pointed and there were these two towers. It was clearly New York City. And there was smoke that was coming out of one of the towers. And this was 9-11. And it's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, Spencer. Uh, it's, uh, this notion of heroes wanted, this notion of what can we do? Now, I was a lawyer, I was a JAG in 9-11. I wasn't a combatant. I wasn't somebody who was gonna go to the front lines, be deployed to places like Afghanistan or eventually Iraq. Uh, but I, I did have a role to play. And uh, this sense of all of us having an opportunity and a role to play, all of us have a hero in us. And we have to find that and we have to use that and we have an obligation to do so. So that is one of the reasons why I wrote the book. Um, so there are a number of stories that kind of support that within the book. And it's a number of uh, opportunities for us to think about ourselves as heroes. What a great introduction. First of all, thank you. I, I, lesson number one, right? When someone tells you no, go back the next day, like come up with a different solution. I love yeah. that. And I'd love to start with this first concept. You just said everybody has a hero within us. Yes. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So number one, if you're sitting here, you know, some of us, I think, you know, don't struggle with self-confidence and, and you'll hear, they'd be like, absolutely, I'm a hero. Like they're already <laughs> hearing their theme song. Yes. Other of us might be thinking, 
I don't buy that, Rodney. I'm not a hero. Help us help those and maybe those that maybe are overinflated in themselves. How do we find our inner hero? That's right. So there are two stories in the book that really support this notion of uh, heroes wanting and that we all have an inner hero. And oftentimes, as you know, Spencer, we're looking for someone to solve the world's ills. We're looking for a great politician. We're looking for a great billionaire. We're looking for somebody who is superhuman. We look to Olympians. We look to athletes. We, we look to somebody out of our own bodies. But, uh, but a friend of mine, Dr. Gregory uh, Smith, he, he talks about this. Uh, he talks about this story. And Greg says that when he was six years old, he had not died. And he says that he really wanted to go out and, uh, and ask Aunt Dot as much as he could because she was really smart. Uh, and she, she was somebody who would always have a quick and ready answer. And so one day, young Greg asked Aunt Dot, how do you change the world? And Aunt Dot was really kind of flabbergasted by this and she didn't have an immediate answer uh, to this big question. And so she came back and thought about it and she said, I don't know how you change the world, but I know you can always impact the three feet around you. And that notion stuck with me when I heard Greg talk about it. When I heard him say it, you know, it, it was amazing. And he's written about it. He writes about it quite a bit, in fact. Uh, but this sense of that we have the opportunity to, with a smile, with noticing someone is in trouble, through conversation, through all sorts of little things. And for my own life, I thought about when I was in sixth grade, I had a difficult time reading and writing. I was in, I'm sorry, when I was in first grade, when I was six years old, when I was in first grade, I had a difficult time reading and writing. And I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Janie Adams. And Mrs. Adams recognized me. Mrs. Adams saw that I was just sitting there sullen and I wasn't responding. And she called my mother and she said, Mrs. Bullard Rodney is a fine young man, but he's not reading on grade level. And she said, but I see something in him. And so she asked to tutor me for the summer. And I was not happy about that. I wasn't a part of that plan. Uh, so, uh, but she took me to her home. And what's interesting about that is we lived probably about six miles apart, but her neighborhood was very different than my neighborhood. And it was worlds apart. And she brought me into this place and she tutored me and she taught me to read phonetically. And at the end of the summer, I was reading two and three grade levels ahead of my peers. And the importance of that is I was within her three feet and she decided that she was going to do something and she was going to be a hero literally for me and change the trajectory of my life. And that is amazing. And we all have that opportunity. Uh, Rodney, I've got goosebumps. Um, thank you for sharing that. This concept of three feet around you. And, and I love that you, we all, if we were to put our head up and to think about that, have somebody that we can impact and your teacher decided to do that with you and yes. the ripple effect that you're having because of that one individual is astounding right I mean it, it, let's be honest the book is one thing but you're doing so much more in your communities in in communities all over the world with your role of Chick-fil-a yes you your three feet has you know it's almost like you've superpowered your three feet your three feet is really big now because somebody decided to be a superhero in their own right, which is incredible. Yes, it's amazing. And, and, you know, we don't think about the ripple effects of what we do and how we can really impact others. 
Uh, and look, the ripple effects of what the Kathy family and Chick-fil-A have done and how that impacts team members and how that impacts operators and how that then ripples to communities and all sorts. And it's not just Chick-fil-A, it's every company that's trying to do good. And it's everybody who's trying to do good. And you know, this whole notion and the question that was asked by young Greg was, how do you change the world? Well, I've come to the conclusion, well, you know, if we all use our three feet, then we can change the world if we're intentional about it. And we stop finding that which hinders us, that which divides us. And we start thinking about that which makes us uh, really all human and all common, our empathy and, and our ability to be a hero. I love that. And, and in fact, one of, one of your chapters is um, community, a heart for unity. And, yes. and so give me a little bit of flavor on that because I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna pull on a few lessons here. So lesson number two already is three feet around you and think about who can you impact today? I think with COVID that's even probably even the importance of that is even more so now. But then talk to me about chapter six, like a heart for unity why that chapter and how we as leaders can do something now. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I, I, uh, unity is so important and it's part of community. And I really think about that chapter in a host of ways now. Uh, in 2017, uh, there was a bridge that collapsed in Atlanta, uh, main artery into downtown Atlanta, 250 plus thousand people traverse this uh, 250 plus thousand cars traverse every day going into uh, the city. Uh, and a fire actually was somehow lit up under the, the bridge and it collapsed. No one was hurt, thank goodness. But what did happen was there was this disconnection. There was no longer unity between one side and the other. And I remember I was there driving towards that bridge as I saw the fire and I saw all this smoke and I saw all this confusion. And the first thing I thought, maybe it's my military background, was that we had been attacked uh, because the smoke was so thick and so big and, and, and immense, I thought we had been attacked. I thought the worst. And I was disconnected. And I think about what happens in our communities when we are disconnected, when we don't have unity. First thing we think about is, well, what are those people over there doing? We think the worst. And we think that somehow our place where we currently are is safe because we don't have any information about what's on the other side. We can't get information. We can't build on that. We can't get where we need to go. We can't get resource. And so in many ways, you know, I, I worry that we suffer from this crisis of disconnection, this crisis of a lack of unity, uh, this crisis of community. And we need to refocus ourselves on being neighbors, focus ourselves on having faith in one another, focus ourselves on having respect for one another. And that builds bridges. And that's really the sense of, it's, it's the obligation of a hero to build community, to create unity. I love that. And because it's not like that's in very many job descriptions today. No. <laughs> you know, you know when, when you sign up, I, I, there's very few where I read them where they've just described what you said. But when you sit back and hear what you've just said, you're like, yeah, we need more of that. That's why I, 
again, the name of the book, Heroes Wanted, the world needs every community, every household, somebody that's going to reach out and to build that. And I'd love to, Rodney, is there like a personal example of something that you're doing that, that you kind of are, that's, that you're doing on a consistent basis that demonstrates that and has worked really well for you? Yeah. So I'll take one, um, an event that we put on at Chick-fil-A, uh, via Chick-fil-A, it's not just our event. In fact, we deliberately don't put our name on it and we deliberately wanna make sure that it's everybody. So we have this event called the Beloved Benefit. Uh, Dr. King talked about the beloved community. He talked about bringing people together uh, across difference. And so we have this event or had this event most recently in 2019, we had a conversation series in 20. And the purpose was to bring the city of Atlanta together across all difference. Any difference you could think of, we wanted to do that. And then we had a big concert. We had Bruno Mars and we had Steve Harvey and we had the late Congressman John Lewis and we had all sorts of, it was a Grammy-esque performance. And we danced and we raised money over $5 million for organizations within the city. But one of the things that we are most proud of is you know, many of these events are exclusive and you gotta buy this high price ticket and you come and you wear a black tie and you look good and you're fortressed off with these round tables. We didn't want that. So 25% of the tickets we gave away to folks who could not come. And it was come as you are. Uh, so it didn't matter. Uh, and it was a wonderful event. And we didn't have round tables. We had family style tables. We ate family style. And it really was, many people were like, I didn't even know about this community. I didn't know about this, this issue. Uh, and so that was a big deal. And I'm proud that we are trying to bring people together in that way. And personally, I think it's really, you know, my own obligation to try and do that as well. It's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, uh, to, to have this conversation, speak to people, uh, to, to reach out, to give dollars to those uh, equitably across spectrums, uh, and to, uh, to try and not be drowned out by any voice that really tries to divide us. Uh, so what an incredible example. I'm, I'm hoping I'm on the invite list for the next event. Come on, um, my friend, it's in February, <laughs> 2022. <laughs> I love it. I, the other thing that I, you, you just made me think about as a hero's wanted in this sense of community is, and you know, food brings people together. I mean, that's just culturally what it is. And I was like, I think all of us, right, regardless of our situation, when was the last time we ate with somebody that represented a different religion, a different demographic, a different whatever? And, and you know, as I think about, again, for me, small things make a big difference. You know, you don't have to put on a, a Grammy event, but my goodness, bring somebody in, grab some Chick-fil-A and have some sauce and, and some nuggets. And that will be my, that's my challenge to everyone listening today have somebody over that you would not, not normally and create some community. Yes, I love it. I love that, my friend. That's actually a wonderful thought. I may, I may take it. I'll give you credit the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me know how it goes. Okay, so the other one, the other um, chapter that I think really resonated with me, even just by name, was a heart of boldness. Because mm. I, I want you to talk to us what does that mean today, uh, and particular in the book, A Heart of Boldness? Yes. You know, there's always this, this pull to, as I said earlier in the example about the bridge, to think that somebody is different or something is 
uh, a skew on the other side of an issue or a debate. Uh, it's always easier to argue than to solve. And I really do believe that leadership is about solving hard problems. And we have to be bold in doing that. We have to go out and be assertive in doing that. And that's what leaders should be about. Not solving small problems and not just solving problems that are for ourselves, but being bold in identifying problems and solving them and understanding that that is really the heart of leadership. I love that. And so give me the example of, uh, you know, well, give us a behind the scenes curtain of Rodney, because you've done a lot of things in your career. And my guess is you've had to been bold where you've solved, had to have solved a hard problem. What does that look like? Because it's, you know, sometimes there's some, there's not easy parts. It means sometimes you're going to have to be uncomfortable and make a hard choice. I'd love for you, how do you do that where it doesn't like totally eat up you? Do you have an example or some tips for us as we think about being bold in our own right? Um, what does that, how does that look for you or maybe an example for you in your career? You know, one of the things I learned about being bold, it doesn't mean that you have to go alone. And oftentimes people think that somehow I have to jump off the, the high board and I have to do this by myself. In fact, that's the opposite of leadership. If you're doing it alone, then you're not really leading anybody. Um, and one of the things that I learned uh, when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was a federal prosecutor here in Atlanta. And when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office, uh, one of the issues that we had and continue to have, frankly, uh, was this issue of just um, incarcerating and continuing to incarcerate people. Uh, and, and it's important that we protect the community. It's very important. Uh, but every time we do it, we understand that a mother, a father, cousin, a brother, uncle, et cetera, is being pulled out. And the, the community is lesser for it. And we should be doing those things to protect the community. So don't hear me in any other way. But we also have to solve the problem of the why. And we aren't going to jail our way out of some of the ills of our community. Uh, we can continue to jail, but it's not going to jail our way out of the problems. And so we started a program recognizing the high recidivism rate in parts of the city of Atlanta. So we started a program and uh, Sally Yates was uh, the U.S. attorney at the time. She went on to be, uh, I'm sorry, the U.S. attorney here in Atlanta. She went on to be the United States attorney general uh, later on. Uh, but it was something that we talked about a lot. And so we started a program and she asked me to lead it where we worked on all of the wraparound services. And I'll never forget that we had a sign-in log and we had a sign-in log for those who were returning citizens and we were gonna try and give them services so that they wouldn't go back to jail. Uh, whether it be job services, whether it be life skills, et cetera. And we had the sign-in sheet and people were walking past and I was wanting people to sign in. And at some point, someone pulled me to the side and said, some of these people can't read and some of these people can't write. Uh, and it hit me that, you know, these are hard problems and we have to be bold in our assertion of these problems, our recognition of these problems. And so we started a literacy program along with that, or at least we brought in a literacy program along with that. And that was important uh, for us, but we have to identify what the actual issue is. So that, there's some boldness that was required there, but then we have to actually go do something about it. And what a great example, because to your point, you. You also said it's not, you can't go alone with these problems. 
you're tackling, you know, societal issues and you're like, you, you've recognized the power of partnership and the power of ecosystems and, right. and the ability to say, if you're going to do something and, and unleash the inner hero and you recognize that you've got to have help along the way. Okay. I, I, I like to say I will collaborate over compete any day and that we will get further uh, via our collaboration. And I'm not love that. with anybody to do good. I really like that. Um, and then I, I've got one more, one more um, section I'd love for you just to explain about the book. We, and by the way, all there's, there's nine chapters and I'm gonna ask you which one's your favorite. So be ready to answer that one. But I also think because of COVID and I mean, if you watch the news today, unfortunately we, you know, you can, you can actually get a, a sense of like, oh, the world is ending if you watch the news too much. But I love your last chapter. It's a heart of hope, right? And it's having confidence. And yes. tell me why that one was your finisher and why that's so important in this hero, um, inner hero of all of us. Yeah, I think it's critically important that we have hope, uh, that we actually can get the job done and that we can help people and that we aren't disheartened in the journey. Uh, and, and I hope that the book really is a narrative, not of my my story, not just of my story, but of other stories in which you can see that the needle is actually moving and that good is triumphing and we are making a difference. Thus, you can have confidence that you can make a difference too. Uh, when you hear Mrs. Adams' story, think about who was your Mrs. Adams. Think about who made that difference in your life. Think about who made you feel good uh, in their role as a leader. And even so, who made you feel bad? And how do you want to go about living your life and using your three feet? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm totally inspired um, by this conversation. And I'm hoping everyone that's listening today recognize, A, you've had heroes in your life that's got you to where you are today. But also, you can be a hero for somebody else. Right. And whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your workplace or you know, I think a little bit like what, what you've done, Rodney, whether it's even at a larger scale, don't be afraid to start now. That's right, my friend. I, I appreciate it. And to answer your question, my friend, you, you, you asked what's my favorite chapter. Yes, yes. I'm, I like, you know, it's like, you know, choosing your favorite child or something. You never want to do that. But what's your favorite chapter and why? So I started with my favorite chapter. I started with calling. And what's your calling? And I think all of us have a calling to answer. And look, it's different from one person to the other. Uh, you know, I love and have a passion for people. Uh, I particularly have a passion for children. Uh, I particularly have a passion for solving problems that are societal and intractable in some ways. But some people have a true passion for, for animals or trees uh, and follow that passion, whatever it is. Your passion doesn't have to be my passion. In fact, if we're gonna truly save the world, then my passion can't be your passion. You need to be working on some other aspect within the world different than me. Um, but we need to respect each other in the manner in which we do it. And we need to go about doing it and using our three feet to save the world. Oh, I love that. What a chapter one, a calling. And may we pursue our own callings, I think is amazing. Um, Rodney, one of the uh, things, what was interesting that happened to uh, my family, as most people that are listening will remember um, the death of uh, 
um, George Floyd. And during that time, this, the, the massive societal unrest. And it was interesting. Um, it was, I think, three or four days after that, my wife and uh, kids went through the drive-through at Chick-fil-A. And they got, as they got through the drive-through, at the end of it, you know, she went to pay and someone, the lady handed her a note and the note said, um, somebody loves you, um, your meal's paid for. And Excellent. it was, it was so powerful. My wife's like, well, I need to thank somebody. She's like, no, the person wants to remain anonymous. And it was such a power of hope. Now, you know, I, who knows why it was Chick-fil-A or why someone chose to do it at Chick-fil-A, but it was super cool for the conversation that translated to our kids to say, you know, like, I'm now relating it to Heroes Wanted. Somebody that day decided to be a hero and send a message to people. And and it was so cool. And so I, what's one of the coolest things about working for Chick-fil-A, Rodney? You know, I think that's one of the coolest things about working for Chick-fil-A, that there really is this ethos of good. And it, it, it's a culture that influences others to also feel free to be their best selves and to be their wonderful selves, as you saw in that. And so you think about that. You know, your children saw someone do this gracious and generous act of kindness for you all, uh, for your wife. And now they will want to pay it forward too. And, you know, that just virtuous cycle of someone giving and someone giving back, Mrs. Adams giving to me, my mother giving to me, my grandmother, whomever investing in me, my opportunity to give it back, and then their opportunity to give it back. And so uh, that's a wonderful, really um, cultural uh, touch point of Chick-fil-A. Last question, the name of the podcast, Small Things Make a Big Difference. What is one small leadership habit that you do on a regular basis that's making a big difference yeah. for Chick-fil-A, for your family, and the communities that you serve in? One of the things that I, uh, I try and do is be intentional in listening to people and hearing their story. Uh, it's a little thing, but I ask people, when I was in Washington, D.C., I was always amazed at the first question people would ask me is, what do you do? And what they were trying to do in some cases, not all, but in some cases, was size me up as to what I did and place me in some slot. And so I asked the question of where you from? Because the question of where you from is really a personal question. It opens up, well, I'm military brat. I'm from all over and you hear more. Well, I'm from X, Y, and Z. I'm from Philadelphia or I'm from San Francisco and I'm from Canada. And you learn more about a whole host of things around that person by just asking that very simple question of where you from? Ronnie Bullard, this has been so inspiring and helpful. Those that are listening today, if you have not read the book, Heroes Wanted, I strongly urge you to pick it up and um, it, will, it will help you be more intentional in who you are today, but more importantly, the hero you can become. Rodney, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Spencer. It was truly my pleasure and truly an honor. Thank you for your leadership. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Small Things Make a Big Difference, where Rodney Bullard was incredibly generous in his insights from his book, Heroes Wanted. If you have not got it, I strongly urge you to pick it up. Most importantly, I hope that each of you will recognize that you have the ability to be a hero. Let's be honest, I hope that you start to think of your own theme song 
and recognize that you're a hero to somebody. For me, I'm looking in my three foot radius. Who is it that I can reach out to help? For you, it might've been inspired somebody else, whether it's a heart of hope, a heart of unity, being able to make a difference, a heart of purpose, recognizing your own purpose. Most importantly, I hope that you will identify and articulate one small thing you'll do to be a hero in somebody that's close around you. Thank you.